Well, let's once again seek God in prayer and ask for his blessing upon the study of his word this evening. Father, we thank you for the privilege of having the Bible in our own laps or in our phones, whether paper version or electronic version, we thank you for giving us your word. And we pray for your Holy Spirit's presence, even as we have already prayed this evening, that he would take your truth and write it upon all of our minds and hearts, that we would be transformed as a result of hearing your holy word this night. So come, we pray, our gracious God, come and be with us this evening. In Jesus Christ's worthy name we pray, amen. amen. <clears throat> Guilt. Guilt. Many people think that guilt is something bad and therefore something to be ignored or rejected or denied. But guilt is not our enemy, assuming that it is not false guilt. Real guilt is experienced when we have done something that we know is wrong, something that we know is sinful, something that we know has broken God's law. And you don't need to attend a church to know what God's law is, because God's law has indeed been written upon the consciences, the minds, the hearts of every single human being. And guilt comes when we sin against God, when we break his law. The question is, what should we do when we have guilt? Well, our passage tonight teaches us what we must do. So turn in your Bibles, please, to 1 John chapter 1, and I will read beginning at verse 5. 1 John chapter 1, beginning at verse 5. First John 1, verse 5. And this is the message which we have heard from him and announced to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in the darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. And there we stop our reading. Our focus tonight will be upon verse 9, although I will refer to the whole passage. But our focus will be on that precious verse. 
If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I'd like you to notice from this passage, from verse 9 in particular, our actions, God's twofold response in the second place, and thirdly, the justification for God's response. So first of all, notice from verse 9, our actions. We're told, first of all, that we sin daily, we sin frequently. This is clearly assumed by the Apostle John in his words, for there would be no point in instructing us to confess our sins, and notice it's the plural, sins, if we have not sinned. Why tell people to do that if they've not sinned? And this very day, you and I have sinned in God in a variety of ways, First of all, for not loving God with all of our hearts, minds, strength, and soul. You and I have sinned against God by thinking, speaking, acting, and reacting in ways that are contrary to God's commands. The word sins, which John used in verse 9, has the meaning of missing the mark. Many of you may know that who attend here frequently. When anyone sins against God, he or she misses the mark of God's high and perfect standard of holiness, which is God himself and his character and being, as well as God's law. John wants us to understand that every sinner is responsible and culpable for his or her sins because they choose to miss the mark. It's not just an accident that they miss the mark, they actually choose to miss the mark. And you can see that in this letter that John wrote. If you look at verse 6, sinners choose to live in spiritual darkness. In verse 8 of chapter 1, they choose to lie to themselves. In verse 10, they choose to deny the reality of personal sin. And then if you turn to chapter 2, you see that they choose to disobey God's commandments and they choose to hate other people. And in verse 15 and 16 of chapter 2, they choose to love the world instead of loving God. They choose to lust with their flesh instead of obeying God. They choose to lust with their eyes. And then in chapter 5 and verse 10, sinners choose to not believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So John wants us all to understand that sin is pervasive in this world and sin is pervasive even in our lives. And even if you are a real genuine Christian, you have a consciousness that sin is very much with you. It's not ruling your heart and life any longer if you are a Christian but it still remains there and at times breaks out in ways that are grievous and you see that indeed your heart is deceitful above all things. So John wants us to understand that sin is pervasive and sin is very evil and it is indeed the plague of plagues, far worse than any COVID that anyone could ever contract. Sin offends truly offends and angers a good and gracious and loving and holy God 
who sent his son into the world to rescue sinners. So when we sin, we miss the mark of God's standard of holiness. Well, then what should we do? Stay in our sorrow, stay in our quicksand of emotions, stay in our sins? No, John tells us what we should do. He tells us, secondly, we must confess our sins. This is the second part of our actions. We sin daily and frequently, but we must confess our sins. Well, what does the Apostle John mean when he tells us to do that? Biblically speaking, to confess means to speak the same words as God with reference to any matter whatsoever. Specifically, in the light of the teaching of verse 9, we are to speak the same words as God would speak with reference to our sins. For example, when you lie, you don't tell the truth, and you know you're not telling the truth. You're choosing to lie. When you lie, you will call it sin. You won't make excuses. You will call it a transgression of God's law. You will not justify it. You will judge it as God judges it, as rebellion against your good and gracious creator, your lawgiver, the one who gives you life and breath. You will then acknowledge and own your sin, your guilt, your responsibility. You see, this is one of the reasons why so many people, and I don't mean this to be unkind, but so many people in our day, in our society, are really, really confused and even one might say messed up because they are not owning the reality of their real sin and their real guilt. They're seeking to deal with their sin in unbiblical ways, even ungodly ways. They're seeking to deal with their real guilt in unbiblical ways, ungodly ways. And you see, they become indeed depressed. They become more confused. They don't know what to do. They then don't start, they don't think clearly and properly, you see. But when we confess our sins, we acknowledge our sins, we own our sins, our guilt, our responsibility before God with a sincere, transparent, comprehensive confession of the sin to God. Genuine confession of sin is not, therefore, an empty, meaningless saying of words like, well, yeah, I'm a sinner. I mean, everybody does things wrong. I mean, come on. No, that's not confession of sin. Genuine confession of sin does not include disagreeing with God or denying your guilt and responsibility. Genuine confession of sin does not involve blame shifting, rationalization, minimizing your sin, or any such things. Consider the example of David in Psalm 51. If you'd like to turn there, you may. Psalm 51, beginning with the caption above verse 1. Here we have 
a very clear example of genuine confession of sin. For the chief musician, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet came unto him after he had gone into Bathsheba. And then verse 1 of Psalm 51. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Just pause there and consider what David wrote, what David proclaimed. Have mercy upon me. Why? Have mercy upon me because of my transgressions. Blot them out in your tender mercies. Verse 2, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Do you know that reality of your sin being ever before you, having a consciousness, even for you who are genuine Christians, your sin is ever before you? That's what David wrote. For I know my transgressions, my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done that which is evil in your sight, that you may be justified when you speak and be clear when you judge. We stop our reading there. You see, David could have blamed Bathsheba. What in the world was she doing? Bathing in her outside courtyard. He could have blamed her, but he didn't in Psalm 51. He could have minimized his sin of adultery, since in his mind it was only one act. So, compared to the rest of my life, isn't this just a little thing? He didn't do that. He could have justified his sin wrongly. I'm the king. I'm the king. I mean, do not I deserve certain privileges? He didn't do that. David could have rationalized the murder of Uriah Bathsheba's husband. Because after all, David himself did not really personally, physically kill Uriah. He was killed in warfare. You see, that could have all been done by David. But he didn't do any of that in Psalm 51. He agreed with God's judgment regarding his sins of adultery and murder. He owned his responsibility, his guilt, and he confessed his sins to God. And that is what the Apostle John is telling us we must do to deal with the reality of guilt real guilt because of real sins. We must recognize that we are sinners and we must confess our sins to God truly. But notice God's twofold response in verse 9, turning back to 1 John chapter 1. What does God do when a sinner, when any sinner comes to him, and we'll see through Jesus Christ, confessing his or her sins. What does God do? We're told in verse 9 that, first of all, God will 
forgive our sins. When we truly confess our sins to God, he responds, if I may use that word, by forgiving us, by literally sending our sins away, for that is what the word forgive in this verse means. And I believe there's an allusion to the old covenant, to the actions recorded in Leviticus 16, where Aaron laid his hands upon the goat, a live goat, confessing the sins of the children of Israel as he had his hands on the head of that goat. And then that goat was sent away into the wilderness. And we're told that the goat shall bear upon it all the iniquities of the children of Israel into a solitary land. Perhaps John had that in his mind as he wrote these words in 1 John 1, 9. So as the goat was sent away into a solitary land, into the wilderness, and symbolically carried away all of the confessed sins of the children of Israel, so the Lord Jesus Christ, when we truly confess our sins to God through Christ, carries away into a solitary land, as it were, all of our iniquities, all of our transgressions, all of our sins. And John makes it plain in verse 7 of 1 John 1 that it is because of the blood of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, that this reality takes place. So, dear brethren Christians here this night, you need to think upon this reality that all of your sins that you have confessed even this day to God through Christ, all of those sins of your thoughts, all of those sins of your heart, they have been all through Christ carried away, as it were, into the wilderness. This is a cause of great rejoicing. God freely and fully forgives sinners who abandon all confidence in themselves. And this is often the problem that Christians face. You're looking inside and you're not looking out to Jesus Christ who's seated on his throne in glory in heaven. You're thinking like a Roman Catholic, I must do this and this and this and this. I need to be sorrowful for the next week before I can really be forgiven. No, you go straight to God through Jesus Christ with all of your guilt, real guilt because of real sins. You go to God through Christ with all of your sins. You confess those sins. You agree with God's judgment and the blood of Jesus, his son, will cleanse you from all sin. In Christ's life and righteousness, his death on the cross as the propitiatory sacrifice for sin, his present intercession on behalf of his people, in Christ you have free, full forgiveness for all your sins when you go and confess your sins to God through Jesus Christ. God promises he will forgive you your sins. But the second reality in verse 9 is God will cleanse from all unrighteousness. 
for those who truly confess their sins to God through the Lord Jesus Christ, he promises, he promises. God's promises are not like my promises. When I make a promise to somebody, I intend to keep it as a Christian man. But I may fail for a variety of reasons. I may forget. I may do something sinful and not keep up the, keep the promise. But God never faults on his promise. And he has promised to cleanse from all unrighteousness. And the word translated cleanse is from a family of words which the medical profession uses to describe how they unclog or cleanse out arteries in the human body. It's called catheterization. And that process cleans out the artery. And so God is the heavenly physician who performs this spiritual cleansing upon every sinner who confesses his sins to God through Christ. And notice that John tells us that God cleanses, purges away, not some sins, but all sins, all unrighteousness. In the blood of Christ, everything that is morally wrong and offensive to God, all of your sinful words and deeds, they can all be cleansed away as you confess them to God through Christ, cleansed because of the blood of Christ and his death on the cross. God's cleansing, dear Christian, it reaches to the subtle sins of your heart. When you confess those subtle sins to God through Christ, it reaches to those gross sins in your heart and life when you confess those gross sins to God through Christ. God will cleanse from all unrighteousness. But what's the justification for this, for God's response? I've really already alluded to it or explicitly stated it. But notice what John tells us in verse 9. He tells us because God is faithful, he forgives and cleanses. God cannot lie. God does not lie. God is totally truthful. God is totally trustworthy. God has given us his faithful word here in 1 John 1, 9. And you are to take that verse and plead it with God in prayer as you confess your sins. Lord, you have promised in your word in verse 9 of 1 John chapter 1 that if we confess our sins, you'll be faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins. And I'm holding you to your word. And I now confess, sadly, these specific sins. You may feel like a hypocrite. You may feel totally unworthy, and you are unworthy. You may be saying, how can God forgive me again and again? for the same sins, the same sins. 
that I've committed again and again. And I know I should not be impatient with my children. I know I should not be irritated with my wife. I know I should not be insubmissive in my heart, in my life toward my husband. I know that I should love my wife as Christ loves the church. I know that I should obey my father and mother cheerfully. But again, I have failed and I have sinned. So what do you do? You go straight to God through the Lord Jesus Christ. You confess your sins and own them before him. And you plead the promise of this verse. And you hold God to his word. He delights when you do that. Doubting and wavering can be and should be banished from the believer's mind and heart because God is faithful to his word. But notice also, God is also righteous. He forgives and cleanses because he is righteous. He's not only faithful, he's righteous. He's the righteous God of perfect justice. He can freely and fully and righteously forgive you, the confessing sinner, because of the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. His life of perfect sinlessness, his death on the cross as a bloody sacrifice for sin. Because of these realities and because the Lord received the wrath of God into his own person, for the sins of all of his elect. Because of these realities, you see, God can righteously forgive and cleanse all of the sins of all who truly confess their sins through the Lord Jesus Christ and trust in Christ alone for pardon. So brethren, or sinner here this night who's not yet a Christian, this truth of 1 John 1, 9 is to be brought to your mind and heart every day. So our actions, by way of review, we sin and therefore we must confess our sins to God. God's twofold response, he forgives sins and he cleanses from all unrighteousness. And the justification for God's response is that God is faithful and God is righteous. And so in closing, for everyone in this auditorium, I urge you, I charge you to abandon and cast off all negative, dark, hard, unbelieving thoughts about God. The God of the Bible, the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, the God of the Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, is a God who delights in mercy. You're to cast off, abandon all negative, dark, hard, unbelieving thoughts about God. Expel them from your mind whenever they come to you. And turn to 1 John 1, 9. Believe in God's righteous willingness and ability to forgive you for your sins. 
whatever your sins may be. There is no sinner here tonight who has sinned in such a way that he cannot, she cannot be forgiven by God in Christ. As you were urged this morning, if you were here, so I urge you tonight, come to Jesus Christ and live. Come to Jesus Christ and be forgiven for all of your sins. But for the unbeliever here tonight, the one who is not yet a Christian, as the Bible defines that word, you may be indifferent to these spiritual realities. You may say, I don't really care. This is ho-hum to you. Well, what should you do? I urge you to no longer be ho-hum. I urge you, where you're seated this night, to call upon the Lord. Challenge God in a proper way. Challenge God. Lord, my parents call you Lord. Friends call you Lord. I don't really call you Lord, but I'm going to call you Lord now. Have mercy on me. Convict me of my sins. Reveal Jesus Christ to me. I challenge you to think and pray that way. Or you may be convicted of your sins this night. Hopefully from what you've already heard, you understand that you can go to God through Christ, receive full forgiveness for your sins. But the devil has a way of keeping people back from Christ. And your own faulty human reasoning can keep you back from Christ. And friends perhaps may keep you back from Christ. But what you must do if you are convicted of sin is not wait one moment longer, but even now cry out to God through Christ, plead the truth of verse 9 of 1 John 1, and ask God to have mercy upon you. And for the believer, again, when you sin in your life and you are grieved by it and you feel morally dirty, and sin does make us morally dirty, and for the Christian it doesn't continue to keep you dirty when you go and confess your sins to receive cleansing in Christ's blood, but you may again think, Will God receive me? I have so blatantly, flagrantly, purposefully even sinned in this specific way. Yes, you are to go to God through Jesus Christ and ask for him to receive you and forgive you for your sins. God never said to the seed of Jacob, seek me in vain. It's not a vanity to seek God. It's not a vanity to call upon God. You are to call upon the Lord whenever you have sinned and ask for his forgiveness in Christ. And when you as a believer come to the table of remembrance, what are you to remember? 
the Lord Jesus Christ. And as you take the bread and the cup, they are to remind you of what he has already accomplished for you in his death on the cross. And as you look into the cup and you see that fruit of the vine that reminds you in its color of the blood of Christ, the fruit of the vine does not become the blood as you take it, but it is to remind you that Jesus Christ died on the cross, shed his blood to make a full atonement for all your sins. Your sin in union with Adam, our first father, your sins which you have committed since your conception in the womb of your mother, your sins up to the present, your sins in the future to the day of your death, Jesus Christ has made a full atonement for all your sins as a believer. And when you take the cup, you are to remember Christ that this is what he accomplished in his death on the cross. Be believing, not unbelieving, and rejoice in the Lord of your salvation even this night. Let's close in prayer. We thank you, our God, for your love and mercy in sending Jesus Christ into this world to save sinners from their sins. And we pray that you would use your truth to bring eternal life to some here this evening that are presently spiritually dead. Have mercy, we pray, our God, upon every lost, spiritually dead, sinner in this room. And Lord, cause your people to rejoice in the Lord Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of their sins in Christ. And so work in the hearts of your people that we would all be determined each day to not sin, but when we sin, to remember that we have an advocate with you, the Father in heaven, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, and he is the propitiation for our sins, indeed for the sins of the whole world. So our God, answer our prayers and be gracious to each one of us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.